You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Uh, Good morning, guys. Good to see you all. Welcome back. Uh, It is good for me to... do I need to move this or? Okay. Uh, it's good for, good for me to be back and see you guys. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of you recently got back. I was in Texas for about a week um, and then Alabama for a couple days, um, which was great. Um, I always love going, you know, home to, to worship in other, other churches, but there's just nothing like worshiping with your own church. So, um, so good to be back. Excited for a new year with you guys. Um, so when I was at home in Texas, uh, one, you know, one of the things I love to do is uh, look, go back and look through the old movies that I haven't watched in forever, and, and they're always in DVDs, which is extremely outdated, uh, most of them from the 2000s. And uh, you know, every time I, I preach, I tend to promote a movie because that's who I am, and I want to encourage you all in the pursuit of good movies. Uh, so this morning, um, the one I wanted to, to plug, which is the one that, that stuck out to me as I was, I was looking at movies that were a big part of my childhood, uh, was the Bourne series, actually. Uh, it's crazy that it's been like 15 years since, the, since, I guess, the third one came out, which seemed like the last one, and then there were two extras. Um, but if you're not familiar with the Bourne series, uh, this is Jason Bourne. He's played by Matt Damon. And uh, he is essentially a uh, secret agent uh, with the CIA, uh, except he goes rogue and becomes a huge problem for the CIA. And if any of you work for the CIA, I apologize. <laughs> I assume in a room like this, there are some. Oh, uh, we do not know that you work for them, but keep doing the good work. Uh, <laughs> Jason Bourne speaks multiple languages. He is a master behind the wheel. He knows everything about weapons. He's like a triathlon guy. Um, you don't want to mess with him. And there are other, other guys like him in the program, except he always seems to outdo them. And when the CIA realizes that he's a problem, that he's not obeying their orders, uh, that he's actually a huge liability for the program because the program wasn't supposed to exist, uh, they realize and they decide we got to take him out. And we can't afford this guy uh, continuing to live because he's a he's a he's a liability to us. Um, and that kicks off a whole series uh, where Jason Bourne is on the run constantly around the world and uh, being chased and harassed and uh, attempted uh, to be killed by uh, other CIA agents because he has an enemy that wants him dead. Um, and he has to be on guard 24-7 for his life. And while I can't exactly relate to maybe the physical aspect of Jason Bourne's life, um, there is something about the 24-7 on guard, you know, under siege thing that I actually do appreciate as a believer in Christ uh, because we also have an enemy um, who doesn't want us to stay on the path that leads to life, uh, who sees us as a threat to the kingdom of darkness because we've actually been snatched out of that kingdom and been placed in the kingdom of light. And we're doing, uh, you know, by God's grace, uh, good for the kingdom of of Christ and and damage to the kingdom of darkness. And so we're a liability to our old master, to our old captor, which is uh, Satan. And, And so I do appreciate... Uh, that 
again, that sense of being under siege because so often, you know, there's just no, I learned a long time ago, there's no holiday, there's no vacation from, uh, from being a Christian, right? If you, if you try to take a break, like, you're, you're really hurting yourself. Uh, it's, not, it's not how it works. Um, and what I've realized, too, and I'm sure many of you have as well, is that uh, Satan doesn't want to let you go easily, right? Just like uh, the CIA doesn't want to let Jason Bourne go easily. Um, our, our old master uh, wants us, right? He wants to sift us like wheat. That's what Jesus said about Peter. He said he wants to sift your faith like wheat. And so we know, and we need to know, if we're not aware, um, that his, Satan's agenda for our lives, a number one agenda, is to destroy our faith. So how do we preserve our faith? How do we, how do we actually go about the fight, the good warfare that the whole New Testament talks about in a way that actually works, in a way that preserves our souls? Um, and that's what I want to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, and the good news, as we just sang about, is that ultimately it is God who keeps us. Right? He's the one who preserves us, who holds us fast, who will see to it that we make it in the end. Um, and yet, that doesn't look like complacency or laziness at all. Because when he really keeps us, he actually causes us to be active, causes us to seek his face and to receive his grace. And it becomes this beautiful cycle of receiving grace and persevering. Uh, and what I want to focus in on today through Psalm 16 is the way that God has given us to do two things, to fight the enemy's lies and the sin that remains within. And what we're going to see in the psalm is the, the lies come from outside. Like, we're, we don't have any power over the temptation or the lies that come at us. Um, but the lie would also have no power if it couldn't hook onto something within us that was confused or seeing the world wrongly and desiring the wrong thing. And so part of what this psalm is going to help us do has really helped me do in recent years, um, is to help, is to see the world in a less distorted way, to see it for, for what it actually is. Um, and when we see the world rightly uh, and stop seeing it in distorted ways, it makes it so much more easy and, not easy, but natural and, and um, rational to follow God and to, start, to strive for His presence. So, um, I think this psalm is a really powerful antidote to that. It's only 11 verses, but it's been, it's been pivotal in my life. I hope, um, if you haven't spent much time uh, on this particular psalm, I hope it becomes a real asset for you as well. Um, the main idea in our text is this. God is our only hope in life and in death. God is our only hope in life and in death. And my outline reflects David's uh, psalm. It reflects his journey in this psalm from distress to deliverance. And it's got two points. Number one, seek refuge in God. Seek refuge in God. And then number two, fight unbelief with the truth. Fight unbelief with the truth. And I'm going to have seven sub points underneath that last one. We'll spend most of our time on that uh, because I really think I, I, yeah, I, lots of different people structure this psalm in different ways. This is how I carve it up because it, this is how it's worked for me. And I think, uh, I think it's helpful to see it that way. Um, so our first point, number one, seek refuge in God. We don't know exactly what situation David was in when he wrote this psalm. Uh, it could have been some kind of physical distress. You know, there were times when his life was threatened, like with King Saul, and we're in battle. 
Other times he was in spiritual danger. Uh, we know about the times where he fell uh, in, during those times of danger. Whatever it was, David was writing from a place of relative distress. Um, and I'm actually glad we don't know specifically what it was because it makes it more broadly applicable to us. Um, and his prayer begins with a humble cry that God would preserve him. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This is the foundation for everything that comes next uh, in the psalm. Uh, think of it as his motive. Everything that comes later is seeking this goal of preservation. Um, and, and notice David doesn't first look to himself to preserve his own soul. He doesn't gird up his loins and say, okay, self, preserve yourself. Uh, he looks to God, which is both uh, humility on David's part and just a recognition of reality, of his own weakness. He's basically saying, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I can't rescue myself. The dangers are just too much for me to handle alone. And if my soul is going to make it, you're going to have to cause me, help me to make it. So yeah, I love the humility of it, especially for a king. I think we should remember David was, was king of Israel at a time where Israel was near the peak of its geopolitical power as a nation. And Israel itself was God's chosen people. Um, all the other nations in the world were pagan nations. So really, if there's anybody in the world who could have a claim on righteousness or self-reliance, uh, you would think it might be David. And yet David knows himself way too well to place his confidence in his own strength. And he also doesn't see the world in, in a binary, you know, good guys versus bad guys way. I think, you know, sometimes <laughs> maybe in politics or in, in world affairs, you know, there, there's a, or other, other worldviews, philosophies, uh, there can be a tendency to see the world as you just, you know, good guys versus bad guys, uh, this jersey versus that jersey, when in reality, David, um, he sees it much more accurately. He sees everyone as infected by the same sin virus, right, including himself. Um, and he knows that anyone can fall. Anyone can fall uh, if God doesn't keep them. And uh, there's a quote about this that I really um, appreciate. It's one of the more famous quotes by a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he was a Soviet dissident um, during the 20th century. He, he was kicked out of his home country of Russia uh, because of his writings. Uh, he was an Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Christian. Um, he said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, not between political parties either, but right through every human heart. I think it's a, it's a sobering and helpful way to view reality. Um, even the most righteous person uh, can fall. Sin is the great equalizer, you might say. And so that prayer, preserve me, O God, um, the rest of the psalm is active. It's fighting for faith. This first line is asking for grace because grace has to come first. Once we receive God's grace, then we actually have the strength to work out our salvation, but God has to come first. He has to lay the foundation. He has to keep us. And so that's what he's asking. Um, and so I wonder what, what causes us to pray this kind of prayer. Um, I wonder if this is a, a frequent prayer for you, a common prayer. Um, I, I think this prayer tends to increase uh, you know, in, to the extent that you realize your need 
right? So the more we, we feel our need, the more we ask God to, to preserve us. Um, so I don't know, you know, maybe for you it's anxiety. Uh, maybe it's nagging fears about the future, what, what the unknown is. Um, maybe you find yourself in, in, in physical danger, you know, uh, circumstances where you, you fear for your life and this is just a natural prayer. God, preserve me, preserve my life. Or maybe it's a more normal prayer for you. Um, because like David, you know just how prone to wander you are. And the most obvious prayer you can say every day, even when you wake up, is, Lord, keep me. Just for another day, keep me. Um, it's a good prayer to have. Um, because you don't have to be in distress to ask for this. Um, and asking this question also doesn't, doesn't uh, mean that we're, we're saying, you know, we can lose our salvation. Um, it, that's certainly not, uh, cl- not true in the New Testament. It's clear no, none of God's children get plucked out of his hand. He keeps them. Uh, and yet, even someone as godly as the Apostle Paul, right, could say, even when I desire to do what's right, Evil lies close at hand. So we need God's protection. We need to be realistic about our need. Um, but again, that, that doesn't make us complacent. In fact, it only makes us more active to fight for our faith. So what does that look like practically? Um, if we were in the New Testament, we might go to Ephesians chapter 6, talk about the armor of God. Um, unfortunately, Ben preached on that in February, so we're not going to go there. Uh, but I encourage you to go back and check it out if you want to pair it up maybe with, with Psalm 16. Um, but Psalm 16, I, I think, gives us a lot of action to do. And it really, it's calling to mind truth. Right? It's fighting unbelief with the truth. And that's our point number two. Fight unbelief with the truth. The first truth that he reminds himself of is who he belongs to. Um, in the Bourne movies, the first, the first of the Bourne movies is called The Bourne Identity. Before Jason Bourne could do anything productive, he had to know who he was. He had to try to find out who he is. Uh, I think I left out the part, he has amnesia. <laughs> so he doesn't know who he is anymore. That's part of the plot, is that he just wakes up and he doesn't know, like, what he's, but he has these weird killer instincts. And so he's like, what is this? What am I doing? Um, and how do I stop? Um, and so David does the same thing. He, he reminds himself who he belongs to. Uh, verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is a statement of loyalty from David to God. Uh, he's saying uh, whatever enticements or, 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 or you know, sins have been on his mind, been knocking on his door, he's now closing that door. He's actively pushing back and he's saying out loud, sin is not my Lord. God is my Lord. And notice he doesn't say uh, God is the Lord. He says God is my Lord. I think it's interesting he says that. Uh, it's so intimate, right? David has a, such a personal relationship with, with the living God. And the same is true, infinitely more true for those of us today who, who are in Christ and who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. David was was one in, in, in a million, a multi, 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 however million people there were in, in Israel at the time. He was one of very few who had the Holy Spirit on him as a, as a king. As Christians, we have the, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so how much more can we say that God is my God? And that's our first, our first point, is that God is our Lord. 
it's the key difference, really. If you, if you wanted to boil down the difference between a nominal faith and a living, active faith, it's that difference between the Lord and my Lord. So the question uh, for us, for America, for, for anyone who wants to call themselves Christian is, is, is he just the man upstairs, or is he your God? Do you rely on him? Do you lean on him? Do you trust in him? Do you enjoy his fellowship and his friendship? The New Testament says that God is not far from any of us. Uh, Paul said that to a group of pagans in Athens, that God is not far from any of us. We just need to reach out and seek him. Um, that all we have to do to experience his presence, as we were singing about this morning, uh, is simply to turn away from our sins because those are the things that have kept us from his presence. Um, to turn away from those and receive Christ as our Savior, as our mediator, as our substitute, who paid for all of the sin, and so that we can now be in the presence of God, just like David. That's what it means to know God as our God. But David goes further, and he reminds himself there is no good outside of God. Um, and at this point, it sounds like David's almost reminding himself of these truths more than just saying it to God, although it's both. He says, I have no good apart from you. Uh, and of course, he's not saying there are no good things that are distinct from God. Um, obviously, God's creation is good. He made it good. But, every, but the point is that every, everything good that we come across in the world, that we like rightly, um, that we enjoy, that are true blessings, were God's idea. Right? He he, he thought of them. He thought them into being, spoke them into being. Uh, every blessing in the world uh, comes, comes down from the Father of lights, right? Um, and this is where Satan does a lot of his deceptive work, right? He tries to, to latch on to God's good creation and then claim it as his own, but it's really just a knockoff of the real thing. Satan doesn't create anything. He only degrades and twists what God has made good. So why does David need to remind himself of this basic truth? Well, maybe it's because, like, like me, he's tempted to believe the opposite, to think that maybe uh, there is some good, some blessing to be had outside of God, outside of his will, and that maybe God is uh, not to be trusted. Maybe God is withholding something good from him. And if that sounds familiar, it's certainly familiar to me, it's the lie uh, that's been lodged in our minds as fallen creatures ever since the fall. Um, because that was the lie that, that deceived Adam and Eve that caused the fall into sin. Um, you know, the serpent saying to Eve, and I'm summarizing, you know, that, that God can't be trusted, right? Uh, that he doesn't have your best interests at heart. That he's holding something back from you. That you could be greater and wiser and freer and happier uh, if you just disregarded his words uh, and became your own God. We may not say it in quite that way, but really, um, that's the lie that all of us experience and buy into every time we sin. Um, we think that we can find some kind of blessing outside of God, right? Uh, and it's a trap, and it's why, again, seeing seeing reality, seeing, those as, seeing reality rightly, seeing these as lies that are just there to trap us is so much of the battle mentally. Um, 
And the reality, uh, and the wonderful reality to come back to and to keep realizing as we experience God's grace in Christ is that only he, only he can satisfy the soul. Um, that he didn't create us to be satisfied by anything that is in him, ultimately. Uh, that those things are just there to, to stir the affections for something more. Um, and so David is fighting in his own mind to remember and believe that he has no good apart from God. Because once he has that in place, he can push away the lies and preserve his soul. Um, St. Augustine probably said it better than anyone, uh, saying, you have made us, O Lord, for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It's true of every human heart, because everyone's made in God's image. And it's what David is saying. He's cutting the, cutting the, the lie out at the knees and preventing it from doing harm to him. Well, moving, moving to the next verse, David begins to quickly set his affections on God's people. And that's our next observation, is that God's people are worthy of delight. Verse 3, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. So why the shift from God to his people? I don't think David is actually changing the subject. I think it's, it's, it's as though his love for God naturally leads into a love for God's people because, after all, they're reflecting the image of God. They're, they're showing him more of God and his, his, his beauty and his glory. Um, when we come to love God more, we, we come to love all that reflects him. And surely that, that should lead us to love all image bearers, but especially those who, who have the Spirit of God uh, molding them into his image. And I will, I will say this uh, pers- you know, from a personal uh, standpoint. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing grows my, my love for this church and other faithful Christians, churches in the world, uh, quite like seeing the darkness that surrounds us in the world. Um, you know, I I'm, 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 don't think I'm alone in just recognizing that our world and our society are just awash in brokenness. Right and, and moral confusion, um, perversion, and and uh, brutality increasingly, hatred, and what a contrast the people of God are when the Spirit of God is causing us to love one another uh, in sacrificial ways. Uh, it's it's with good reason that the Apostle Paul said that we shine as lights in the midst of a crooked generation. So, you know, when I stand up here, just being personally, um, and look out on you guys, you know, I think about the excellent ones, the saints in the land. That's you guys. And saint, of course, is, is just a, a word for believer, um, a word for Christian. And, you know, what a, what a cool way to see each other, to know that who we are is, is going to continue on into eternity. When we walk into this room, we gather as a church, when we gather in small groups throughout the week, we're gathering with people that we're going to get to know for all eternity, um, that, that we're going to look on each other one day in perfection, and no temptation or sin is going to corrupt anything. And that's going to be an eternal relationship. So gathering here is, is just a rehearsal for eternity. 
And David sort of drives the point home in verse, verse 4 by contrasting it with uh, the idolaters, those who run after false gods. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So he, David clearly has uh, no regard for idolaters. It's not quite as, as intense as the other Psalms where he says, like, I hate them, you know. <laughs> Um, but he, he, he won't pour out their drink offerings of blood. Um, and at the time in, in Israel, uh, they did have drink offerings, um, but they weren't ever of blood. And so uh, this seems to indicate uh, it's talking about a pagan practice or at best some kind of syncretism between a paganism and, and a, a Israelite faith. In any case, David uh, is drawing a clear, a clear line between God's people and those who run after false gods. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of live in a society that doesn't love line drawing when it comes to belief and doctrine, but, man, when you appreciate what the line is protecting and just how beautiful the light is in the midst of darkness, um, it, it makes sense, right? Uh, David is uh, all about protecting and recognizing the good in God's people and um, encouraging others in it and away from seeking idols. Verse 4, he goes on, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. So again, he's, he's going back up to God, talking about God, reminding himself of the blessings of walking with him. It, all, it kind of reminds me of Psalm uh, 103, where there's that line, to forget not all his benefits. Um, David's reminding himself of that. Um, you know, that God is, is not just giving him stuff, it's not that God is just giving him gifts. It's just that God is the, the greatest gift that he is giving to David and that he's the very thing that satisfies his soul. He says God is his portion in his cup. That's feasting language, drinking language. Kind of makes you think of you know, the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate in a little bit, um, which again is, is totally different from nominal faith. right? Uh, when the disciples heard uh, about the, the feasting on Christ and the drinking of his blood, right? They were freaked out. They thought it was weird. Uh, and Jesus is saying, no, like this is, this is, this is um, you, you, must, you must feed on me. Um, otherwise, you have no life in you. That's what he says. Um, and so there is a sense in which the nominal believer just doesn't understand feasting on God as, as the soul's end, right? Um, the natural man doesn't accept the things of God because he doesn't understand them. Um, and so as we, as we see God as our portion and our lot, uh, as the end of our soul's quest, we should just pause and recognize that's not a natural thing to feel, actually. What David's talking about is not what we're born like. We're not born with that hunger uh, to know God as he really is. Maybe we have the hunger, we take it in a different direction, when God reveals himself and draws our hearts to him, that's a pure act of grace. He's already begun to answer our prayer in verse 1 to preserve us. David also is, is, he's calls God his chosen portion, so he's active, right? He's saying, I'm choosing you again, God. Uh, or just a reminder that the daily choice to walk with the Lord is a real choice that has consequences. Um, for, for, for good or for, for ill. Um, if we don't, David's saying, Lord, I choose you as my portion. 
And we get to experience the benefits of, of walking with God, um, usually in proportion to how close we draw to him. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, says, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, although the work of grace in our hearts is, is begun decisively by, by God, um, there's that reciprocal relationship, right? So we, we, we continue to, to, to draw near to him, and then he draws nearer to us, and then we draw near to him. And what a, what a great promise to latch on to uh, as, we, as we head into the new year. Um, it's a promise that we get to cash in every day for the rest of our lives, even if we've drifted from him and uh, maybe grown cold toward him. Um, there, there's always hope for renewal. He never loses his children. And so we can draw near to him with a, a clean conscience, sprinkled with the blood of Christ, uh, expecting that he's going to draw near again because he's faithful. He's more faithful than, than we are faithless. Moving into our next point, uh, David recognizes God not only as his portion, but also his provider of basic necessities, right? Physical, physical needs. Uh, God, and that's our next point, God provides every need. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David refers here to the boundary lines of his dwelling place. Uh, similar language was used in the Old Testament to talk, when God talked about the promised land that he was giving to Israel and the boundary lines of it. Uh, David is remembering the blessings of God that he already enjoys, even the basic necessities of life. Um, and he looks forward also to his future inheritance, which is just as certain as his present blessings, and he calls them beautiful. And how much truer is that for us? Uh, in the new covenant, those of us who enjoy Christ and all of his promises of eternal life, um, and, and even for King's Church, when, even down to our very practical needs. Uh, I remember sitting with Ben and Wesley and Bradley about a year and a half ago uh, in Ben's house, uh, and we were about to, our lease was about to expire at Basis, our old, uh, our old meeting place just down the street, and we had no idea where we were going to meet in a few weeks. And uh, so we just prayed that God would provide. A lot of you guys prayed that God would open up a space. Uh, and, and a year and a half later, the lines have fallen in very pleasant places for King's Church. And how can we not continue to pray bigger and bolder requests to God? Uh, how can we doubt that he'll provide again when he's already done it in the past? And David continues with another truth, another benefit of knowing God, and that's that God gives insight. He gives him insight or instruction, as he, as he says. Verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. So as David spends time with the Lord, God reveals his wisdom and his counsel to his heart, even so that his heart would begin to instruct him. So, you know, at first glance, it might sound like David's following his heart. Oh, that sounds not great. Um, but his heart has been so shaped by the Word of God that he actually can follow his heart now. Isn't that amazing? Uh, isn't that like a foretaste of what heaven will be when our hearts are, are finally, finally new? We can begin to enjoy that now as we store up God's Word in our hearts, just like David did. 
And that's, you know, on a personal note um, here, this is where Psalm 16 has actually been really pivotal for me um, over the last three to four years. Um, it was 2019 when uh, a friend of mine in small group said, hey, I'm going to uh, memorize Psalm 16. You want to you wanna do that with me or uh, keep me accountable at the very least? And, and so I thought about it and I thought, okay, uh, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And I hadn't spent a ton of time on this one and... and it really became pivotal for me because you know what came the next year was COVID <laughs> when we all needed to be preserved uh, in the Lord. And then, you know, so many other situations I can't count. I just, when I think of this Psalm so often, I just think of walking down uh, Senate Dirksen hallway and uh, about to have a meeting, you know, with someone that I wasn't spiritually ready for and just feeling like, Lord, what am I going to do? And this praying this, praying this Psalm, just having it ready, um, just in a 30-second run, it's just like game-changing. Um, so I uh, just want to encourage the, uh, the blessings and just the, the, the encouragement that comes from uh, having it stored up. Um, it's something that uh, I want to join you guys in, 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 in doing more of next year. And then uh, this leads, of course, uh, to strength, right? God's Word is a nourishment. God's Word uh, feeds us and nourishes us. It makes us uh, more resistant to the lies, again, from the enemy. It makes us more able to discern, you know, trains our senses uh, when we're full of God's Word, trains our senses to be able to detect, okay, that's a little bit off. That's, that's going to lead me in a, in a destructive direction. Um, God's Word is just like that. It's just like tuning a guitar, you know. Um, he says, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So God's, God's presence gives him strength. Uh, and how opposite is that to what Satan would have us believe? That somehow God is going to detract or take away from our, our dignity or our autonomy or strength. Um, well, God does take away from our autonomy, but it's for our good, right? It's because it's we were made to, to walk with him. We're stronger when we do. And just like uh, ben was preaching about it in Psalm 1 a few weeks ago. When, we, when we're planted by streams of water, and that stream of water is God and His Word, uh, we become like sturdy oaks and bearing our fruit in season. It doesn't happen overnight, but it, it does happen in time. And then uh, that strength uh, leads to joy. Uh, verses 9 and 10 say, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. David is just full of joy at this point. It's like a different, different mood completely from when he started. Uh, he's, he's, he's turned away the lies of the enemy. He's laid a hold of the truth, all the incalculable benefits of following the Lord and realizing how, how, how foolish and, and not in his own interest it would be to turn away from those things. And he's refreshed as a result. His heart has been refreshed with the goodness of God. He's glad. But this is where things get really interesting. Um, he says, My flesh also dwells secure for what? You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. What is he saying? That word Sheol in Hebrew means place of the dead. It's not heaven or hell as we would come to understand it in the New Testament. 
It's more like the grave, the place of bodily <clears throat> decay. And David, almost out of nowhere, says that uh, he's, going to, he's not going to experience that decay. Uh, he, he seems to be claiming a kind of immortality for himself. And if you were a, a Jew at this time, it's about a thousand years before Christ, uh, you're probably asking yourself, did David just claim to be you know, divine or semi-divine or immortal in some way? And for a thousand years, Jewish readers would have puzzled over this uh, without any sufficient explanation. Because David did die. Right? It's in the biblical narrative. You can read about it. Um, so either David was wrong about being immortal, or the meaning of his words inspired by the Holy Spirit, were yet to be revealed. Which is where we turn now to the book of Acts, a thousand years later, where we pick this up. Jesus has just risen from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven. And uh, Peter, the apostle, is preaching his Pentecost sermon to a group of Jews uh, who actually had just put Jesus to death. And I guess what Psalm Peter quotes to those who killed Jesus and interprets for us. I'll pick it up in verse 23 of Acts 2. Peter says, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. The language is a little bit different because of the, the, the Greek translation that he was using. But uh, there it is. There it is. He quotes it. And then Peter explains. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he, he foresaw, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. There it is, plain as day. Peter, as an apostle, is giving the full and decisive interpretation for the ages of verse 10 in chapter 16, Psalm 16, and it's about Jesus. Because Jesus is the Davidic king whose throne and whose kingdom will have no end, and his body did not see decay. He's in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father advocating for us. What does this mean? Well, the book of Romans, as we, as we just studied recently, says that the wages of sin is death. And death was God's righteous and inevitable judgment on sin. And it continues to be, and it will be, for eternity, for, for those who remain in their sins. But God's provided a way out through faith in his Son. Jesus didn't just resurrect himself. I think this is maybe what some people don't understand. Jesus' resurrection wasn't just about him going up into heaven. 
It was about him making himself a bridge from death to life for us. Because when we put our faith in him, we become attached to him. He uses our faith to attach ourselves, to join ourselves to him so that when we die, we will one day be raised to life by his power. Romans 8.11 says it this way, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Or in the words of Jesus, because I live, you also shall live. Do you see how verse 11 is where all of this leads? You make known to me the path of life. Your presence, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How can anyone not want that? Pleasures forevermore. Not outside of God or his will, not in the sin or deceived rebellion. Pleasures in his presence, which we enjoy today in part, but in eternity beyond all measure. So Psalm 16 began with a plea from David that God would protect him. And by the end, his prayer is answered. How? By allowing eternity to break into his present life. By laying hold of the truth that dispels lies. By seeking refuge in God, who is his only hope in life and death. The fight for our faith is never easy. Jesus promised it wouldn't be. But God has given us his spirit and with it, the tools and the pathway modeled by David to fight for our faith and by his grace to finish the race. So as we enter a new year, may God preserve each of us and lead us into his presence every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.